HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash techbytes. HRN is offering complimentary business memberships to 50 Black, Indigenous, people of color-owned food businesses this summer. The deadline to apply is July 31st. Each business membership, a $500 value, is an advertising opportunity that will allow businesses disproportionately impacted by COVID-19 to connect with HRN's listening community and promote their work. To apply and review the terms and conditions, go to heritageradionetwork.org B-I-Z. Hello, hello, Heritage Radio Network listeners tuning in from 165 countries around the world, about a million listens a month. And today, we hope every single one of them is listening to Tech Bytes, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we look at the influence and intersection of food and technology. And that food and technology has never been more important than it has now in the United States. We are about three months and change into the COVID pandemic, lockdown, restaurants being shut down, restaurant distribution chains being altered, food cooking. It really is a different world. And we have been turning to technology more than ever, not just to source what we eat, but also talk to people and stay connected. Today, we are talking with David Rysenko, who is the general manager of the e-commerce department at Square. And if you've done any shopping retail out in the world over the past couple of years, I'm sure you have been standing in the middle of a store where you just handed a credit card to someone and they swiped it on a phone with a little white square on the top. Magic. Um, digital e-commerce, contactless commerce, has never been more important. So we have a lot of interesting things to talk with David about, who is calling in from San Francisco this morning. How are you, David? I'm good. Thanks for having me. You know, typically Tech Bytes was a show where we had a role, we always had guests in studio, and we had to wait for people to come and visit New York, to come out to Roberta's uh, restaurant where our repurposed shipping container studio 
is um, and then sit down and have a nice talk and have some great pizza. We never ever did phone-ins or recordings, and that's something that's very new for Tech Bytes uh, that we started in March. So one of the silver linings of doing the show remotely is that it gives us an opportunity to talk to people from all over the world, which we wouldn't have been doing in the past. So we haven't really talked to anybody um, in the past few months from California. Tell us what it's like out in San Francisco right now. Yeah, well, I do hope to make it out at some point and and be able to share a uh, slice of pizza. That's that that sounds delicious. Um, but um, yeah, in in San Francisco, um, you know it, it. You know, I think San Francisco is one of the first cities to, uh, if not the first city, to go through uh, into shelter in place. So you know, things uh, all happened very quickly, um, j- just for everyone and and restaurants included, obviously. Um, you, you know, in that March, that mid-March time frame. Um, but, you know, thing, things have been um, getting back to some semblance of whatever the new normal is. Um, you know, pe- people are, uh, you know, wearing masks, but uh, but out and about. And, um, and you know, I think uh, everyone has their eyes looking forward as to what might be coming next. It's certainly San Francisco is such a robust uh, food town and obviously a very robust tech town. It's sort of the um, it's perhaps maybe the the primary meeting point in the United States of technology and food, just given the different things that happen right there in the Bay Area. Um, you know, Square being tech, obviously, you all got to be able to merge immediately to work from home, um, but a you know, large portion, of course, of your businesses are restaurants and food retailers. Did you sort of immediately see things happening in the market, you know, within the first week or two? Was there kind of a pause for the first few weeks where people were thinking they were going to go back to normal in a week or two or waiting to see what was going to happen, sort of a maybe a transitional shock phase where people weren't doing anything and then kind of coming out and, and retrenching and, and figuring out what to do? Well, it, you know, I, it was interesting timing for sure. R- you know, right around the time that, uh, that, that started to become obvious that, that things were really escalating. Um, and, uh, you know, we, we met and we were really hearing what, from, from a lot of our sellers um, and you know, and especially restaurants, just just kind of understanding what was coming next and and how it was going to affect them, and um, and so you know, right right around that time when San Francisco did move to shelter in place, um, you know, we we had a, a, a all team meeting and and just reprioritized what it was that we were going to work on. We kind of just threw our old roadmap out and came up with a new roadmap of what was going to be needed uh, going forward, and and. Uh, because of that, within within 48 hours of San Francisco uh, going into shelter in place, uh, to kind of give you a, a perspective on the time frame, we we launched uh, curbside pickup, and within a week we launched delivery. Uh, now, delivery was a feature that we had planned, you know, to build and work on. We were working on, uh, and and we had planned to launch launch months from then. But um, but really, just just it was an all hands on deck moment. Um, you know, it was sort of we could see what restaurants and, and what businesses of all shapes and sizes were going to need um, and, and really just rallied the team around that. So, so right as everyone was figuring out, you know, what, what exactly that meant for them and what working from home meant, uh, you know, the team really, uh, you know, really uh, buckled down and started launching a lot of these features that were going to be really important for businesses to stay afloat. 
Something that we have heard uh, very frequently um, on this show over the past couple months uh, about businesses, you know, pivoting or reconfiguring their roadmap because of shelter in place and the pandemic. Many different companies ranging from, you know, an online retail platform for farmers, um, a restaurant discovery app for Black-owned restaurants. A lot of these businesses had a list of, of products that they wanted to launch and things that they wanted to do that were maybe goals for 2020 or maybe goals for 2021 as consumer engagement and sales sort of started to ramp up and meet what they were looking to do. But many of them across the board have said that they just had to accelerate, that the trends of consumer behavior in terms of online commerce, whether that be ordering or retail or delivery, was already in play, as we know, um, but then just accelerated exponentially as people went into shelter in place. So I'm curious to know if um, you said you threw out you know, the roadmap and built a new one. Was that simply to clear the way to target in on these services that seemed so essential? Did you pull these services off of a out of a bucket that maybe you would not have been looking at that them before? Or is it just something that you knew was coming and you just accelerated the pace to get there sooner? Yeah. You know, I think a little bit of both for sure. You know, some things like curbside pickup, uh that 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 was a fairly um, new need in terms of it just being, you know, really rising in prominence and in, in terms of what, what consumers were expecting. Then on the other hand, something like delivery, you know, that that was something that we were already building and, and planning on launching. And, you know, I, I, I think your point is a good one, which is that, um, you know, a lot of these trends were pre-existing. And, you know, I like to, I like to think that, you know, effectively, you know, the pandemic shortened what what would otherwise been a three year adoption cycle down to three weeks, and you know, it really caused a lot of uh, restaurants to to very quickly, you know, have to adapt to the new situation. But you know, the, these were changes that a lot of people were already looking to make just over a longer time frame. And I think you know, if there does end up being some silver lining out of this, it's that um, you know, a lot of these changes will ultimately. Uh, you know, help businesses grow stronger, uh, you know, out, out the other side of this thing. I do think that if a lot of these um, systems and infrastructures on the tech side had not already been in place uh, for restaurants and, and art, you know, food artisans and retail, it would have been very difficult, I think, for restaurants to learn about them, figure out how to implement them, and then adapt to them. And then likewise, I think for consumer behavior also, um, so many of the things that people have gravitated towards now, I, I don't know that we are learning necessarily any new habits or behaviors. I think we're just really utilizing and amplifying ones that were already in existence. I mean, people were already FaceTiming and having video calls. People were already ordering online and using delivery services or pickup and takeout. Um, do, you, do you think that that's the case? Have you seen anything that you would cite as really a new product or a new tech or a new behavior? Or is it just the baseline that we had of growing trends sort of were almost a cushion for us to 
to rely on and then kind of keep going. I think it probably would have been chaos if everybody had to figure out how to, you know, build a, an online website for ordering and menu delivery for the first time. <laughs> yeah, no, no, I think you're probably right on that front. Um, you know, I think I think as far as the trends, you could look at them from two angles. You could look at them from the from the consumer side and, and consumer behaviors, and you could look at them from the uh, you know from from the restaurant side and um, and and what's required in in you know to, to to sort of enable all this to to flow smoothly. Um, you know, on the consumer side, I think you know many of these behaviors and trends were pre existing and picking up steam. You know, things like uh, you know uh, ordering. Um, you know, uh, for for pickup or, or especially delivery, um, and that was becoming an increasingly common behavior. I do think going forward, there there is a chance that some of these behaviors that that were really not that common start to amplify. Um, and one of those, I think that that's that's likely we're going to see a lot of inventiveness around probably is is QR codes. And you know, there's a lot of really interesting things that you can you know that that we're seeing people experiment now with QR codes. Um, you know, for for restaurants, especially, it's using QR codes, uh, you know, to enable um, contactless tipping or donations, um, using QR codes to enable uh, order ahead at the location. So, so I mean, a great example here is uh, Suvla in San Francisco that has a pickup window uh, that that opens to the sidewalk, and then they have a QR code in the window uh, that that says scan here. And and order ahead for pickup, and so actually, if you you know if you want to, uh, there's not lines the same way anymore. This was kind of something that they were doing before the pandemic. But if you wanted to skip the line when you arrived, you could uh, you could forego the hassle of waiting in line and and then having to order um, and just do that right from your phone, and then and then pick up your food right at the pickup window. So you know, I think Q, QR codes are one of those things that that might actually um, become a more po- common behavior with consumers that start to learn about them. Uh, for all the kind of contactless uh, behaviors that that it opens up um, on the restaurant side, to your point, you know, a lot of it is very, very much about the platform that you run your business on, and I think uh, you know we're all very aware of what that tablet farm looks like in a lot of restaurants. You know, there's you know nine different tablets and orders coming in from every single direction, and then you know just getting the order is one thing. But then how do you operationalize that? How do you make sure that everything's printing in the kitchen correctly or displaying on the KDS? Um, how do you make sure that you're able to stagger and throttle your orders so that you don't overwhelm the kitchen at 7 p.m. and then you know, have complete uh, silence at 8 p.m.? And so I think you know, a lot of those systems um, were, were, were newer in terms of their ability to work together. You know, I know certainly at Square, it's something that, that we had only recently launched a lot of that functionality you know, within the past six to nine months. And so you know, I think I think from the from the systems and operations side at restaurants, um, you know, if 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 the pandemic had hit a year earlier, we'd probably be in a in a much worse place. That's interesting to uh, think about. You know, in terms of the timeline of what type of technology we have available to us, both as as businesses and as people. Um, I want to circle back to the QR code. I remember when the QR codes sort of first came out, I want to say it was maybe 10 or 15 years ago, and it was very popular. You know, the QR readers came out as apps and businesses had them and they were embedded in advertisements and it was a QR code and they kind of didn't do very much initially. And then I feel like they went out of vogue and they were not very popular anymore. Um, And you saw them less and less frequently. 
Um, and then now they are in an upsurgence. And I actually just recently read an article about whether or not the paper menu needs to go away at the, at a restaurant, like a tactile menu. And many uh, restaurants have been turning to QR codes, you know, on the tables in different parts of venues of the restaurant so people can access a QR code and have the menu and then be able to just scroll through it at their leisure, which is such a smart idea to me in so many ways. Um, it's also interesting in that, you know, these types of things that we're talking about, QR codes, ordering in line, the contactless payment, that is all predicated on the fact that all of our consumers have some sort of smartphone or tablet device with them, which, else, which, which is also interesting. And I, I don't know what the statistics are in terms of, um, you know, smartphone penetration in the U.S., city to city, and in the world. I mean, I know it's very high at this point, but we often read stories about, um, I think a classic story is senior citizens who want to pay cash, <laughs> who don't have, you know, a smartphone or the QR code or don't, you know, understand, you know, that sort of newfangled technology. Do you think that um, consumer digital tech literacy will be increasing also just by the nature of what is sort of required in many ways now in order to leave your home and, and acquire things in the world? It, it is a good question. Um, I think that as far as QR codes are concerned, and, and, it's, and it's interesting kind of hearing, you know, th thinking about the history of how they exploded in popularity and then kind of went away and, and, are, and are coming back with a resurgence. Um, you know, I think one, one of the big things that's changed on the QR code front is that, um, you know, the, the, uh, the iOS and Android now, now have built in QR code functionality into the main app, into the main camera app. And so, you know, I know personally, um, you know, as a consumer, when I saw a QR code before I wasn't, it was always a little bit confusing. I wasn't quite sure, like, how am I supposed to use this? Do I open up, you know, do I, oh, I need to remember that QR code app. Like, where is that app again? You know, so that I can scan it. It was just a little bit of a hassle. Um, but, you know, the camera, you know, I, I, I use an iPhone and the, and the camera is very accessible. I am very used to getting into the camera, mostly to take uh, a gazillion pictures of my kids. And <laughs> the, you know, so, so I have that down to a science in terms of, you know, in terms of hundreds of milliseconds to open up my camera app. And, um, and then that's all you have to do to scan a QR code these days. So I think that that is something fundamental that's changed that I think will make it a lot easier for people to uh, get a hold and understand what what QR codes are. Um, to your point, though, there 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 always will be um, you know a certain set of people. You know, maybe it's senior citizens. You know, wh whoever it might be that don't have access to a smartphone. Um, and for that reason, I think there's always going to be a a, a place for paper um, and cash. Though certainly, I think that the one thing we're going to really see going forward, you know, through the pandemic and then out of it is just there, there will be just a widely varying set of consumer behaviors in terms of how they want to interact with the business. And so there may be people who feel comfortable coming to dine in, and there may be people who don't feel comfortable doing that. And of the people who don't feel comfortable, there may be people who prefer delivery, and there may be people who prefer curbside pickup. And so I think, you know, one of the challenges for businesses going forward is how do I cater to all these different preferences? And I think, you know, some, some of our sellers that I talk to go back to the default 
of you know uh, how they ran their business before the pandemic, and they say, okay, well, I'm either going to go, you know, okay, I can't do business in person now, so I'm just going to go online, and then, oh, okay, I'm doing business in person now, so I'm going to turn off online and just go back to in person, and that's sort of the single cha- channel sort of way of doing business, and I think that uh, uh, you know a lot of businesses are going to have to adapt by learning how to. Uh, you know, expand their business to do, to do, um, uh, you know, to, to accept orders from all the channels and all the ways that their customers want to interact with them. And, you know, it, it definitely is a learning curve and it, and it comes with challenges up front, but the most successful businesses we're seeing are the ones that adapt to all those different consumer behaviors. And then once they do, those are the businesses we talk to and they say, my business is booming. You know, I've never had more business um, as a restaurant. Um, and, uh, and, and I'm actually growing and hiring new people, um, which, which is, which is kind of crazy, but, you know, uh, but I think that, that, that there will be businesses that are able to, um, you know, thrive and, and, and expand into the pandemic. Um, you know, and then even after that, we'll, we'll really see, a, a, you know, a, a surge in interest and, and in, uh, sales. Well, I, um, the interesting, uh, the thing one of the interesting things that you've just said is maintaining the broad base of different types of businesses that restaurants are engaged in now. And I know you recently did uh, an e-commerce report for the months of March and April, which I had the opportunity to read, which is really great. I think um, sort of aggregating the information that you have from all these independent restaurants is so helpful because you know, as we know from the beginning of the pandemic, the independent restaurant groups, you know, roar all these campaigns of, you know, independent restaurant groups banding together to try and express to the American public and the political leadership of um, how important and substantive the restaurant business is in this country when you put it all together. It's hard to see sometimes because we do think about it as our little neighborhood coffee shop and our little neighborhood restaurant that's owned by, you know, a family or one person. You know, Square's in the position certainly to to have a lot of data about a lot of different types of restaurants. And, you know, it's I think it's important to share stories about people who are being successful at this period of time because it is so abysmal. I mean, we all scroll through our news feeds, our social media, and it's really easy to get into a cone of disaster. Um, And, you know, there are things that are resilient and there are people who, you know, are working and, you know, making a, a positive, you know, outcome for themselves and their businesses. And, you know, I think that's really hopeful. So it's good to hear that businesses are doing well. I think it's so challenging for restaurants because fundamentally, typically, they're supposed to be good at one thing, feeding somebody who's come into their restaurant. Like you come into my space, you sit down, I feed you, you have a great nurturing experience, hospitality, and then you leave. So people are so focused on that experience, it's very difficult sometimes to sort of work on the back end and the tech. And I, I always joke that the tech level of restaurants is pencil on cocktail napkin or seafood towel in many instances, because they're focused on making the best pizza or, you know, the best coffee. It's very challenging, yeah. but people who are able to 
create those multi-channel opportunities for their business and meet their customers where their customers want to be um, are being successful. I think it's a question of um, how, how do uh, you let more restaurants know what's possible or help them with that roadmap because it is just so it's it's challenging in a non-global pandemic time for restaurants and it's exponentially challenging now yeah you know it, it that that that's one of the things that i think a lot of people um you know who who don't work in the restaurant industry don't fully appreciate is it, it is it was a very challenging time before the pandemic and then things just got a lot worse. Um, you know, to your, to your point, the restaurant industry is absolutely massive. It's one of the few, uh, you know, shared common needs, obviously, eating that, that we all have. Um, I think, you know, ad hoc slogan always cracks me up. But you know, their slogan is uh, for the temporary relief of hunger. And, <laughs> you know, that's that, that's something that, you know, we, we obviously all, um, you know, need. Um, I, I think to your point, you know, one, one of the things that 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 this pandemic is doing is is sort of accelerating the adoption curve um and and in many ways i think by being sort sort of having that forcing function to uh go through and find a platform and adopt a technology platform that that you can grow your business on top of help expand into more channels you know i really do believe that this is going to cause more strength and more resilience it it is sort of one of those solutions to um, to the problems that were happening before the pandemic. You know, I think a lot of restaurants, um, you know, uh, you know, obviously, like you said, very much focus on the food. That's, that's the core business, but, um, but, but, but a lot, um, don't spend as much time focusing on the business of food and, and, and understanding what is, what is the brand that they're creating? How can they really own that brand? Um, how can they re-engage? You know, there's a lot of parallels actually with, with the travel industry and making sure that um, that that you form a very strong relationship with your your repeat your recurring customers, and there'll be lots of sources to attract new customers. But at the end of the day, it, it'll be critically important, I believe, for restaurants to uh, to really develop a strong direct channel where they can create incentives for their repeat customers to come back and order from them directly. And th those incentives could be things, um, you know, it'll, it'll, it'll vary depending on, on, on the type of restaurant and the brand. They, they could be things like, like loyalty discounts, uh, free delivery offers, um, you know, either a percent off or the 10th order free or, the, or that kind of thing. Um, you know, it could also be things like uh, offering uh, preferred menu items, you know, items that, that are only available, popular items are only available direct or, or even, during really busy times, um, you know, having preferred ordering times um, uh, if you go direct, and so I think, you know, one one of the things that um, that that has been critical is is setting up a channel, uh, you know, and you know, some form of uh, you know online ordering page where people can come and order for pickup or delivery uh, directly from you. But but this is the channel that'll offer the best margins. This is the channel that you really want to start to form that relationship with your customers around and make sure that all your repeat customers keep coming directly to you. And and I think that is something that's really going to help a lot of restaurants who are struggling, you know, continue to thrive um, so that they don't see their their margins continue to get squeezed. Well, I think that's a you know that's an excellent uh, point, and it's actually. You know, the, the comparison to the travel industry is an interesting one just because 
there are so many different gateways to, you know, purchase your airline ticket or, you know, purchase your, you know, hotel room. Um, and it is quite similar. I hadn't quite thought about it in that um, many times the carrier or the hotel property will not have the actual, you know, relationship or the transaction with their customer. You know, having control of the data that comes with, you know, a customer engagement or a purchase with a restaurant or any business, and certainly with restaurants, is something that um, has been an issue for years. And certainly, you know, since TechBytes has been on the air um, since January of 2015, we've talked about, you know, sort of the the, the digital firewall sometimes that is around restaurants that is preventing them from actually owning their customer data and their customer relationships. Um, it, it, it happens in so many different ways. I, I don't think the consumers are really aware of it, um, and restaurants are aware of it, but I think even only to a certain degree because so much of it is very complicated. You know, we've done shows about um, who owns your payment token, and most Probably restaurant owners don't know what a payment token is, and certainly most consumers probably don't know what a payment token is, but it has to do with using credit cards, and then it gets processed through the bank, and then, you know, it goes to the restaurant, and it's actually the bank that has, you know, a, a large part of that information, or, you know, with different order services and online platforms and things like that. So it, it, it's, you know, restaurants have, you know, the more technology restaurants use, it's almost the less of an op they decrease their opportunity to have a direct relationship with their customer because it's almost as if every piece of technology or every you know order contact communication stream is sort of you know that third party and is taking it away from them. So I think one of the interesting things about the delivery on demand and also just about Square, the platform in general, is that. Um, it, it seems, you know, from the outside, certainly that um, you're trying to almost create a, a closed loop in giving the restaurant the greatest um, control and being the first point, the be, letting the business be the first point of entry into the business versus yeah, I think another entity. And that has always been crucial for restaurants because restaurants have been losing profit points um, increasingly as time goes by, as technology increases. So do, do you think that, I mean, certainly it seems to be the case at Square, but do you think this is maybe going to be a, a trend that we'll see where technology, you know, sort of like opened up the doors to everybody to take a piece out of restaurants and maybe now technology is going to be able to help restaurants kind of close their doors a little bit and, and you know, rally their own and control their own channels of connectivity with their customers. Yeah, I think I think you're 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 absolutely spot on, and and it's kind of an interesting point to 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 think about. And I think it is important for restaurants to think through. You know, how how does this play out over the next two to five years? And um and you know, in in, in a certain sense, you could use technology to sort of uh you know fight fire with fire, if you will, but. But but I think that's that's where Square is is very different and and very unique in terms of what we're trying to do and um, you know I think Square's business model is interesting where where we're we're only successful if um, if you're successful and we don't charge huge monthly fees and we don't charge a huge commission and uh, you know and 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 we really are it's you know it's it's our goal to really provide that platform for restaurants to be able to 
own that direct channel and to do so at, you know, a cost structure and margins that make sense for them. And I think, you know, if you think about, you know, you know, we could, we could sort of, um, you know, envision two different versions of the future that, that are simultaneously playing out. And in one version of the future, you, uh, you know, I think a, a sort of interesting, but also very worrying trend is this, is this ghost kitchen trend. And so, um, you know, what, what, what we're even seeing is, is, uh, some companies start up where they're creating this food brand and, and they're putting it out there on, on delivery apps. And then they're going to restaurants and say, Hey, can you be our ghost kitchen and make our food for us? We'll give you the recipes. You know, what, what they're effectively doing is they're disaggregating the brand you know, from, from the making of the food they're, they're attempting to. And, um, and so they're just focusing, uh, you know, all of their energy is almost like a marketing company. It's, it's all about, you know, the, you know, the menus and, you know, the photos and, you know, all, all of this sort of like appeal that they're creating around this brand to try to get people to order the food. Um, Menu clickbait. <laughs> exactly when they're when they're when they're searching on these on these uh, you know various ways for to, to order for delivery, um, and you know this is kind of a, a, a dangerous place for a lot of restaurants to get into because eventually you're you're just sort of an outsourced kitchen and and you know, there's there's really not going to be kind of any interesting you know margin or growth opportunities out of that. Um, you know on the on the flip side, you know you have a platform like like Square Online Store where where again we're trying to create. Um, and, and, and there are other platforms, um, you know, not that many that don't charge a commission, but, but, but there are some others out there that, um, that we're really trying to create that direct channel that restaurants can build on top of. And so you can imagine, you know, how, how this can play out over time. You know, someone comes in for dine-in service and you're able to, you know, capture their email address or their contact information. Um, you're, you're able to send out marketing communications to them. Um, to encourage them to order delivery, you know, maybe free delivery on your first order or something like that. Um, you know, you you would put, you know, m- maybe it's a customer that you attract, um, you know, that orders uh, delivery via an app. You're able to, you know, put a sticker, an insert, something like that to provide an incentive. And over time, you actually build a very robust, um, you know, direct first party channel where where you you actually have a large amount of your business flowing through. And that's something that you control directly. It's your brand. You know, you engage with your loyal customers. They come directly back to you. And through through something like on-demand delivery, which Square just launched, you're even able to provide delivery services, um, you know, through, you know, just the delivery piece through, through uh, uh, you know, partnership with Postmates or, or other services where, um, where, again, you just pay a flat delivery fee. And, you know, I think this is, this is the way, if you think about the travel industry, this is really the tool that you need to focus on, um, that you really need to build that center of mass where, where, where you have a lot of, you know, your repeat purchases, your loyal customers coming directly to you and encourage that behavior um, so that, so that all, you know, all the people that are, that are trying to disaggregate, um, you know, either the brand or the ordering or the customer relationships, you know, you'll have all that data you know, you own all that data, you can engage directly with your customers, and they know who you are, and, um, and have affinity for, um, for coming back directly to you. Well, the interesting thing about being able to manage all of your transactions with your customers is that, in an interesting way, it allows for 
customers to become regulars at a restaurant virtually. You know, there are so, or, you know, part of going to a restaurant is people always want the special treatment. They want to be able to get what they want. They want the reservation that they want. And any food critic, food writer, chef, restaurant person will tell you the way to do that is to go. Go to the restaurant, let them see you, get to know the maitre d', get to know the bartender, get to know the servers, get to know the owners. And the more they see you, the better care they'll take of you. And that's how you become a regular. If a restaurant has control of their digital and virtual business, they will see the names, the emails, the people who are coming and coming. And then, you know, maybe that's a way to, that is a way to build a relationship virtually and become a regular customer at a restaurant. If you're a regular customer of, you know, like PayPal or Apple Pay, it's not the same thing. And I don't know that, uh, you know, maybe consumers are starting to, you know, understand um, in terms of their uh, engagements, who they're actually having the relationship with. Are you having the relationship with Ad Hoc or Sluva, or are you having the relationship with, with PayPal or Apple Pay or, you know, a delivery service? And they're very different. And, um, you know, we did, an, we did a show uh, a couple weeks ago with an app called Eat Okra, which is uh, an app to find Black-owned restaurants. And it's very specific, Black ownership, 51%. Um, and the important thing there is, you know, creating community, finding community, but also being able to follow where the money goes. Money goes back into the community, goes back into a local owner versus going back to, you know, a, a nebulous place somewhere. Um, it's, it's interesting and it's important. And I wonder if the sort of boom in consumer behavior in terms of this sort of new virtual on-demand digital pickup life we have, if the um, information curve of consumers understanding the flow of those transactions will increase as well. I'm not sure that it has. Um, it would be great if it did um, because then people, you know, I think today people are very interested in making specific choices um, educated choices, informed choices about how they spend their money and where they spend their money, and I think understanding some of these, some of these, you know, crazy, uh, you know, digital online order manipulations would be, would make a difference sometimes in how people choose to get that get that cup of coffee or get that burger delivered to them. Yeah, no, I, I think it's a great point you make about. Um, about regulars. Um, you know, I think one of the things that you do want to look for in a platform is uh, what what are all the pieces and are they really integrated? Because there's a big difference between, um, you know, someone who says, uh, oh, we offer marketing and we offer payroll and we offer these various things, um, but that hasn't really put the pieces together well. Um, you know, I think one of the things that, that, that I'm really focused on and we're really focused on at Square is really making sure that everything's integrated seamlessly. And so to your point on regulars, um, you know, with, with uh, you know, Square Online Store and Square Marketing, you can see who those regulars are. You have that data. And then what you can actually do is you could actually go and market to them and give them specials and, you know, help them, um, you know, really feel like a regular. Um, you know, it could be things like special menu items or uh, or special discounts or whatever it is that you're able to offer them that makes sense for for your restaurant. Um, 
there's uh, you know a lot of people who are um, you know kind of kind of have these hidden menu items that that are only known um, you know by their regulars and um, and and they're able to offer that to them and so I think um, you know being able to foster that relationship actually capturing the data knowing who your customers are knowing who the regulars are um, and then and then being able to engage with that relationship is able to create a you know a little bit of what that that in person experience might have been. And I think that that's the thing that um, we are challenged to find right now is relationship and continuing to sort of build community with the people around us and the businesses around us in our neighborhoods, even if we can't actually physically be with the restaurants and businesses and neighbors around us. We are going to take a quick break to find out who the sponsor is of this show. Did you know that Heritage Radio Network is a 501c3 nonprofit? We're kind of like public radio, and we keep the lights on and the mics hot out of the generosity of our members, who are mostly listeners like you, grants, and underwriters like this one. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Square. You might know Square from their little white card readers, but Square has a lot more tools that can help businesses, especially now that they're having to figure out how to safely reopen and make things work in this new normal. So many are stepping up to the challenge, like Fifth Hammer Brewing in Long Island City. To adapt, Fifth Hammer's co-owner Mary Izette created a Square online store so customers could browse available beers, build an order, and safely pick up cans from the tap room. I was able to set up our online store within 24 hours of moving to a to-go model. The Square online store allowed Fifth Hammer to keep beer production going, serve their local customers, and retain employees. It's also very easy to train your staff on. They will be able to receive, fulfill, and provide your customers with a contactless pickup in no time. If you're a business owner, Square wants you to know it has tools that can help you shift your business, like Fifth Hammer is doing. No matter if you're brewing beer, baking bread, or mixing to-go cocktails, you can start taking online orders in minutes with pickup and delivery. And if you're selling in person, Square can help you accept contactless payments. All these tools work together and they're all in one place. You just need a Square account to get started. See all the ways Square can help your business right now by visiting square.com slash go slash techbytes. Well, if you're just joining us and you're wondering what the hell you clicked on, this is Tech Bites, the weekly show on the Heritage Radio Network, where we talk to innovators and influencers in the food tech space. And today we are talking to David Rosenko. He is the general manager of e-commerce at Square. If you want to check out Square online and see what they're up to, you can visit them at squareup.com and you can find them on social media at Square across most of the social media channels. We've been talking with David about the accelerated, both the accelerated product launch at Square that was caused by the shelter in place and pandemic, sort of drilling down and bringing to market some online delivery on demand, pickup on demand for their users, and also running in tandem to that, the accelerated uh, behavior change of consumers who are really embracing uh, technology and digital life in a way that I think some pundits, you know, you read online saying, oh, everybody said this wouldn't be possible. Well, it became possible very rapidly. <laughs> 
David, I know that you are a longtime entrepreneur. You founded your first company, Weebly, a long time ago when you were in college, I think, was what I read in a Newsweek article. Yeah, that's right. So you are, uh, if you are a successful tech founder from a young age, that means inherently you have to have uh, vision and uh, some forward thinking and forward looking. And you also have to have a certain amount of confidence that um, you can impact change for the better in the world, which are all really good qualities to have right now. What types of things are you looking to for the future now in terms of what Square is going to be rolling out? Um, you know, in the short term while we're still in the pandemic, is it percolating some ideas for really future technology? Um, does this does this period of time really kind of get that entrepreneurial, inventive spirit going in a strange way? I mean, crisis and need are typically the two greatest drivers of of innovation. Yeah, you know, I think I think there's also one additional component uh, that's needed, and that's a whole lot of luck. Uh, so, you know, um, no, no no one can predict the future, and and uh, you know, it, we all kind of kind of you know take it as it comes. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, I think in terms of looking forward, you know, one of the one of the trends that seems like it like it will continue is just really the the blurring of lines. Um, you know, between traditional business types, uh, you know, I think, you know, the restaurant and the food and food and beverage business has, you know, um, been, been very similar for, for a long time, for decades. And, um, you know, now we're just seeing a bunch of just really, you know, interesting adaptations. Um, you know, one, one that comes to mind is just, and, and it's kind of crazy to even think that, um, you know, even a year ago that this would, you know, start to become more commonplace, but, it's uh, you know the blending of you know food and a service-based business, and we're seeing some restaurants, and this is more of a sort of a, you know full-service kind of kind of dine-in type of restaurant that um, that that is actually offering meal kits um, that that you could get delivered that day, and then that evening, uh, you know we'll, we'll we'll have a Zoom session uh, cooking class with the chef, who will who will give a cooking class on how to prepare that that meal kit and and do that with, with all the people that have ordered that day. And so I think it is, it is really interesting to see, um, how, you know, just resilient and resourceful. A lot of restaurants have been through this and just figuring out how to make it work, how to stay afloat. And I think that, you know, a lot of the things that people, you know, learn to do are going to be things that, that will continue to flourish, you know, even when the pandemic's gone. That is really, uh, it, it has been really interesting to see the amount of things happening on Zoom. <laughs> I've also seen um, some wine bars doing similar things where they will uh, ship a case of wine or wine selections and do uh, virtual wine tasting. I've seen a cheese shop um, in New York City doing the same thing as well. It's really uh, interesting also what people have been able to come up with the tools that they have and sort of, you know, throw the proverbial spaghetti on the wall and, and see what sticks. Do you, what, what, because you do have so much insight into such a broad pool of restaurants, I would be curious to know, um, sort of on both sides of the coin, what's the number one um, issue or question or things that restaurants need help with right now that you're seeing, you know, in terms of feedback from people, 
And then on the flip side of that, is there um, sort of a surprise, um, you know, silver lining or thing that's going really well um, that people are asking uh, you for more of, bigger, faster, stronger, make more like this? Yeah, no, bo- both great questions. And, and we also did one of those virtual wine tastings where, where they shipped us a couple bottles and we, we got together with a group of friends uh, on the Zoom call. And, and uh, I, I can confirm you do have to be very careful with those because, you know, your pores at home tend to be a little bit larger <laughs> than the pores you'd get at the winery. Mm-hmm. Uh, so uh, probably, no, no probably early less- morning meetings. <laughs> less spit bucket also, probably. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> um, but um no, I mean one of the top requests we're getting is uh, is is really around um, the really operational controls and pricing controls, and um, you know th- this is an area where where we've recently launched a lot of features around. Um, you know the operational controls are um, you know what, what's really important is obviously making sure that you have uh, highly reliable uh, ticket printing uh, into the kitchen or KDS if you use that that um that the ticket prints at the right time you know making sure that your order prep time is configured and set up correctly um and then you know things like order throttling making sure that uh you know again that 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 you're able to properly pace out when your orders are coming in and when they're being scheduled for and making sure that that sort of the logistics of all of that work really well and it's 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 sort of devilishly difficult to get that right uh but you know, that's that's something that we've really been very focused on recently. Um, another one is just around, you know, uh, a little over a week ago we launched um, on-demand delivery uh, for Square Online Store, and 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 what that feature is is it's really, you know, but before launching on-demand delivery, we had the ability uh, to offer curbside pickup and also delivery if if uh, uh, you know you you had drivers that that were driving those orders around, but. We heard from a lot of restaurants that um, that ultimately managing a courier fleet was not something that they were really interested in doing, and and that makes total sense. Um, and so, so we launched on-demand delivery, where through a partner like Postmates or others, you're able to, um, you know, uh, accept those orders directly from your website and have the actual delivery be fulfilled by a partner. And so, to you, that looks um, a lot like a pickup order. Uh, except it's not being picked up by the customer, it's being picked up by a delivery partner. And, you know, through that, there's really a lot of pricing controls that, that have been really, really important because one of the things that, um, that became very evident very quickly is that, um, you know, obviously uh, consumers are very sensitive to, to, to pricing in, in, in just varied ways. And so having the ability to, offer a service fee, having the ability to uh, discount the delivery price, having the ability to offer free delivery with order sizes over $40 or whatever that may be. Um, and really having, you know, um, like fine grain control over delivery radius and understanding, um, you know, am I going to choose the delivery price that's the cheapest or the one that is the fastest? And so having really fine grain control over all these things has been really important um, because it varies on a restaurant by restaurant basis, what's going to make sense for them. Um, you know, you can think of, um, you know, may, maybe a, uh, you know, smoothie or, or salad place that would be interested in the least expensive delivery cost, 
you may think of a sushi place that would actually be interested in the fastest delivery time. And so ha having all of these fine grained controls for restaurants is um, really important to help them kind of fine tune their business and, and really cater to uh, repeat customers coming to them directly. Well, delivery has been such a uh, interesting, contentious topic in the restaurant world for years and was actually, I think, independent of the pandemic kind of starting to come to a head in, in different parts of the country and with different business things. Certainly in New York City, community boards were meeting about capping delivery service fees from third-party delivery services and Senate investigations and website you know, website issues, um, that it was something that was, you know, from the restaurant, m most of the restaurants that we've spoken with have had felt that delivery was something that they really needed to offer because consumers were so used to it. And that was something that they wanted and needed. And so if you were not in the delivery game, you were maybe losing that business. And in some instances, being in the delivery game meant you were losing money because it would sometimes, you know, when everything was said and done between the different percentages and fees, you know, restaurants would lose money on, on the order. So it really became sort of a rock and a hard place or a chicken and an egg. And it was definitely something that I think was building um, sort of like momentum and um, interest both from the industry, maybe some governing bodies, as well as the consumers and then when we crossed the line into shelter in place and we crossed the line into the, the new world of the pandemic, delivery in many delivery and pickup now has become, in many instances, the only avenue for business. So now it's not a question of should I do it, should I not do it? Now it's a question of what's the most efficient, effective, economical way for me to do it. And again, allowing restaurants to be that first gatekeeper to their customers and then allowing them to be able to make the decision of how they're going to do that um, and how they're going to deal with, you know, the different cost structures and fees um, is so important. And I think, um, you know, I wonder, um, and maybe you can answer it or, or maybe not, if this would have been Square's point of view without the pandemic. Um, and then you would have kind of come out of the gate as, as, you know, creating this opportunity for restaurants or if all of the information about restaurants and structure and finances that have come to light during the pandemic, along with the sense of urgency of really trying to help the restaurant industry survive, sort of created a, a, a specific direction for you all. Yeah, I think I think to your point that the direction is similar, but the urgency has definitely increased. And um, you know, I think there's there's you know de de offering delivery. Um, you know, I'd like to tease apart a little bit the difference between offering delivery and um, offering um, you know using delivery apps as a customer acquisition tool. And I think, you know, uh, there, there's really nothing wrong with delivery apps um, and, and they can bring you customers and they can bring you new customers. And, and that actually is, is, a, is, you know, something that all restaurants, you know, maybe not all, but, but many restaurants should be doing. Um, you know, marketing is hard and you, um, you know, if you're not attracting customers through delivery apps, um, you know, you'll probably in some way, shape or form be engaged in some form of marketing to attract customers. And so... You know, I think that that is a very great use um, uh, for for a lot of the apps. I, I think what's 
really important to tease out from that is saying, okay, now that I've acquired a customer, now that I've engaged that customer for the first time, how do I form a stronger long-term relationship directly? And I think where it, where it does start to get very difficult is is if you um, give up that responsibility, give up that opportunity to engage with your customers directly. And if you give up that customer relationship and all of a sudden someone else owns that customer relationship, and then, then longer term, it is going to be a difficult position to be in. And so I think there's an opportunity to engage on marketing channels, engage on customer acquisition channels, and to do so broadly, You know, whether that is a delivery app or it's Instagram or it's some form of advertising. I think engaging in all those channels to attract new customers is a really good thing. And then once you do that, what 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 you should be focused on is then is then reengaging with them and building a very strong direct channel uh, to to reengage and form a, a a strong sort of you know turning them into regulars um, and having them come directly to you. And I and I, and I think that's going to be the successful pattern going forward is people who um, you know have you know, a website and, and a platform for marketing and that they capture all their data uh, on on their customers so that they know, you know, how to talk to them and they know how to get in touch with them. And um, and then and then once they do that, can attract customers in a whole variety of places, but then bring them back directly, you know, whether it's with specials or, you know, whether, you know, all, all, all kinds of different ways that we discuss, but bring them back directly um, and and engage all those repeat purchases and build up that base of regulars. Well, I think that, you know, we sort of have come full circle now and certainly have come full circle to something uh, I have always said on Tech Bytes, and that is we ultimately are using technology and the digital space to try and bring us back to the real life, in life, food and dining experience that we're looking for. And in this instance, in this time and place, um, in, you know, today is July 7th, 2020. We are really um, grabbing technology to take us as much as possible virtually back into those places that we love. So I think that's an interesting idea of looking at delivery apps as, you know, other media channels similar to Instagram where you use them as an initial um, point of connection with your customer and then you bring them into, you know, your virtual restaurant in many ways is, is what we're talking about. We're looking at how you can use technology to bring bring people into your restaurant and into your business virtually so you can actually, you know, have a relationship with them. Any Any last thoughts for what you see happening in the future? Anything that you've been thinking about or is top of mind or even if it's a uh, Jetsons futuristic sci-fi idea? No, I think I think that you know we've we've obviously talked a lot about um, you know what's coming next. I think that um, you know we're 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 very focused on continuing to build out a platform that um, that can help restaurants, you know, uh, um, you know, engage with their customers, you know, operate efficiently. Uh, you know, I think, I think what, what we're likely to see, you know, there, there, there will be a time when, um, when, when the pandemic is over and things are back to normal and what, you know, whatever that normal looks like, you know, I think, I think that um, there, there will be an opportunity 
to uh, you know to, to to run your business on a on a technology platform that enables you know really solves a lot of the problems that 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 were bubbling over before the pandemic you know that that is able to help you engage um, with your customers more efficiently run your business more efficiently you know even even things like payroll and removing a lot of the hassle around um, you know being able to pay your staff and uh, calculating out tips and um, you know, and, and, and how quickly they can have access uh, to funds. So, you know, I think that um, may be difficult to see it now, but, but there is a brighter future ahead. And, um, and, you know, I think that, 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 that there will be really an opportunity, uh, you know, to, to, to emerge stronger and, and to be more competitive uh, when this is all said and done. Well, those are, it's always good to end on a positive note. <laughs> It's almost, um, you know, there's a restaurant expression um, when you're a cook in the kitchen called being in the weeds. And in the weeds means your station is a disaster. You are behind on your orders and your pickups. The orders are coming. You're drowning. It's a big, you know, big mess. And you're completely in the weeds. And, um, you know, there are different schools of thought of how you get out of the weeds and sort of reset and get back to normal. And, you know, one of the strong ones is you stop, you clean up, you reset, you reorder, and then you restart. And I think very much this time, um, you know, not just for the restaurant industry, but for the world is a, is a time of, of reset. And hopefully we, you know, reset and um, go forward and, and to your point, um, better, better and stronger and, and in the restaurant world, more delicious. I want to thank David Visenko, the general manager of e-commerce at Square for spending uh, the second half of his morning with us. If you want to take a look at what Square is doing, go to squareup.com, follow them on social media at Square. If you are interested in listening to other episodes of Tech Bytes, we have over 200 of them on demand on iTunes, Stitcher, all of your favorite podcasting platforms. But the big vault is at heritageradionetwork.org. We have 35 live shows a week and tens of thousands of podcasts on demand for you to listen to, for you to binge listen to, for you to cook with, and to keep you company. If you want to get in touch with Tech Bytes, you can find us online at Tech Bytes HRN across social media. You can email us, techbytes at heritageradionetwork.org. We would love to hear from you. Come back and see us again. I'm Jennifer Leitze, and this is Tech Bytes. Tech Bytes is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to learn more about our 10-year anniversary celebration happening all year long, subscribe to our newsletter. Just enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Instagram and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. You can also find us at facebook.com slash heritage radio network. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Subscribe to the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join the HRN family by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. <laughs>